Ring, ring with Renny Revis. Hello and welcome to the show. We've got someone very special with us today. Someone you may or may not know. But don't worry, we'll explain all the inside jokes. Just sit back and enjoy the voyeurism, folks. It's Ring, Ring with Renny Revis. Hey there. I can't believe I resisted the urge to say let's ring, ring in the new year last week. Maybe feeling like there's nothing to celebrate suppressed my default corniness. I hope you had a nice New Year's Eve. I couldn't tell if the floating, colorful spheres over Los Angeles at the stroke of midnight were fireworks or coronavirus. Hard to say at this point. Today's guest is my dear friend Heidi Powers. Her and her husband Tom Moore are writing partners, collaborating on screenplays and musicals together. The Real Housekeepers of Studio City and Bronies the Musical were Hollywood Fringe Festival darlings, with Bronies taking the award for Best Musical in 2014. On her own, she writes and produces film marketing and directs stage shows. I met Heidi sweating to the oldies, slash Rihanna, working out with Richard Simmons at his studio with my mom. It was such a warm community. It felt like a fulfilled wish to see my mother make friends of her own. When my mom died, aerobics and sequined spandex only helped so much. Heidi helped me a lot. She knew how it felt. She knew what to say. I'll never forget that. Here's some info that'll help eavesdroppers better understand our conversation. Crimsey's was the world's first Cajun vegan restaurant, located near Heidi and I in North Hollywood. It's closed because points everywhere, but you can purchase their cookbook titled The Cajun Vegan Cookbook when it's available later this year. Heidi made pretty biodegradable Christmas ornaments like twine orbs, pomegranates, and orange slices. These delicate, whimsical treasures took hours of her sanity. At about seven minutes into our chat, our call dropped. My wireless plan is T-Mobile, which merged with Sprint. I'm no biologist, but I think this proves the shitty Sprint genes were dominant. Heidi says Liz Lemon's dream, and I don't ask about it. I shoulda, because Tina Fey's character wants to stay home alone all day eating cheese. A brony is an adult male fan of the show My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. David Chase! Of course we remembered right after hanging up. Oh my god! Oh! Hello? Oops, hold on. <laughs> Sorry for the delay. Okay. Enjoy this whole music. Doo, doo, doo. I am doo, already doo. enjoying it. Hi. <laughs> it is good to hear your voice, a voice that I don't get to hear anymore because we're stuck in our own houses. We have a vast expanse of Van Owen keeping us apart. And it's so close, but it's so far. <laughs> it's so far in our post-Crimsies side of the woods. I am so disappointed in the loss of Crimsies. Right. Funny enough, Tom is making Crimsies recipe for gumbo later today. Amazing. You have a short um, order chef. <laughs> I'm very lucky. He's a much better cook than I am, but I'm a much better baker than he is, so it works out. You're both representing that retail space pretty well because it was Crimsies, and now it's some place called Bread and Bullshit. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> more bullshit than bread because it's not Crimsies. My heart. No. They made this vegan king cake that was delicious, and now yeah. if I want it, I have to make it myself. Well, I trust that yours is wonderful. Well, at least they were a cookbook and we got a print version 
I swear to God, I am not sponsored by creme beans. <laughs> did their bread have the little Jesus in it? Mine never did. It had delicious cinnamon filling, but no forced small religious figurines. Having no choking hazard is a perk. I like the spin on this type of bread that usually lets you see Jesus or meet Jesus. <laughs> it could go either way. It is that, I suppose, Jesus-y kind of season, or one of two. Oh, is um, the reason for the season? Actually, I was raised believing that he was the reason for the season before I <laughs> took a step back comfortably uh, from the Catholic Church and said, this is a little weird and unpleasant and rapey for my liking, so I'm <laughs> I'm a step backwards. Now I just, you know, enjoy my heathen Christmas, which I think is more like a yule with symbols that are still reflective of things that are Jesus-y, but nothing in my heart that is Jesus-y, except perhaps the spirit I live my life in. It's the reason for the heathen. Right. And you have all these great ornaments that you make. Yeah. Because of the pandemic and because I'm a freelance copywriter for the film marketing industry, I didn't have a lot of work for a big there. And so I started having to fill my time. Otherwise, with my writing, I would sit down with pen to paper, and then my brain would be like, that's cute that you want to do this, but that's not what we're going to do right now. So I had to find ways to fill my time out of the blue. I suddenly became a crafter. I've never been a crafter in my life. I've done lots of things. I have enjoyed looking at other people's crafts, but mm. suddenly I was embroidering and I was making Christmas ornaments yeah. inspired by a tree that we saw when we were in London for a vacation Ooh. last year that was all natural. Oh, that's beautiful. But we're never home for Christmas in order to have anything like an actual tree. We have, you know, obviously a metal and plastic tree in our house, yeah. but we ended up buying a real tree to put it out back between our house and my mother-in-law's house. Yeah. And then I decorated it all with handmade ornaments, which took forever and made me crazy. Yeah. But I'm kind of happy I did it. It's pretty. I know. It's very pretty. And you got the monkey's paw wish of having more time at home. Yeah, that is a hell of a paw. <laughs> I was able to do things at my time. Thank Jeebus. But... <laughs> I'm working harder at getting my focus back so that my pen and paper and I can be friends again. Yeah. I would like to do the thing that I feel called to do, but cannot. That's the talent you want to explore, but you also happen to be very talented with tactile art. Yeah, I didn't really take art classes. I was too obsessed mm -hmm. with like dance classes and music classes and writing <laughs> classes, and the visual was never my thing. Uh -huh. How about you? How are you able to fill your time? YouTube videos, staring at the board. Yes. Uh <laughs> oh, the voice. I can't watch movies, but I can just let YouTube keep playing and six hours go by. <laughs> so you mentioned all those classes you took. And as you were naming all of those classes you took, I was thinking, you know, all of those teachers kind of look the same. They're the outliers of the school. Right. And they generally have the offbeat, off-kilter ant vibe. Yes. <laughs> it's honestly my vibe in general. <laughs> I love that does she work here vibe. You can show up anywhere and sort of look like you might belong, <laughs> but everyone will still be wondering about you. There's mystery and there's yeah. not a lot of mystery <laughs> to me personally. So I will cling to the off-kilter art teaser vibe that gives me a little bit of mystique. It's the best. And a lot of times they have this one thing they were really into. Yeah. 
like a clowns or, <laughs> or collecting <laughs> turtles. Sounds like we didn't pull that out of thin air. Did you have a turtle person or did I have a clown person? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was the case. But also, I don't currently collect turtles, but it was the first role I ever played in theater. And I happened to be sitting looking at my Christmas tree and there's a turtle ornament right in front of it. So. Oh, okay. Well, that's a good example. There would be a turtle feature. <laughs> Actually, once my parents had bought me a special pastry, I think they were on vacation or something and went to a bakery that did like special little cakes. And they bought me a turtle-shaped cake, which I <gasps> was obsessed with. But then a relative swooped in and ate it. Wow. What kind of jerk eats a kid's cake? I don't know that he knew it was for anyone in particular. I think I was even amused at the time. Like, wow, <laughs> that's a strong choice. Even now I'm obsessed with food that looks like other things. Maybe that's <laughs> how it started. I was picturing your name piped and frosting on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I didn't remember it that way. But then suddenly there's that part of your memory that's like, was that really true? It could have been. I don't trust my brain anymore. Also in that subcategory. Hey, Heidi. <laughs> Hello. Oh, sorry. When I lost you, I didn't know that I had lost you, and so I kept talking. Oh. Like, I'm thinking maybe you were thinking on what you were going to say, and so I riffed on <laughs> food that looks like other food, and then I went on to marketing a food where the food is eating itself, and then oh, no. I realized you were definitely not there. Oh, shit. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no. Oh, so much miss there. What's the name of that snake that eats its own tail? Ouroboros. <laughs> Ah, for 800, you got it. Only because I think that it was in an X-Files episode when my brain was still absorbing new information. And now it has stopped, but Ouroboros has stayed. Nice. I would attribute a lot of my knowledge to tangents in TV shows I used to watch, but I wouldn't dare admit it in a lot of situations. <laughs> Are you calling me out? No, I'm sharing empathy. I um, will accept your empathy. I am such a nerd. <laughs> Yeah, especially with history. It's really all peppered in TV shows. That's what sucks. <laughs> 100%. I will cite animated Pocahontas. I learned things from it that were definitely not true. <laughs> There's something about learning language that takes a little more effort than having the wind blow at you. <laughs> Isn't that how Rosetta Stone works? Exactly. It just blows your hair back. Woo, and then you can speak all the languages. <laughs> I tried to learn French that way and I have a really embarrassing accent when I speak any French, so I'm convinced that is really not the way to go when you're not familiar with the specific sounds that are pronounced by French people. You sort of need a mm -hmm. French person to hold your tongue or make your, you know, upper palate make noises that it usually doesn't. Squish your face up. Yeah. It's one of the hardest accents for us to try and nail. Linguistically, our point of articulation is down here. Blah, blah, blah. And then theirs is the complete opposite. It's all the way up in the nose. It's, ugh. <laughs> I can't even do it right. We were only there for a couple of days last year on the same trip we were in London. Right. And I tried to order things. I tried to ask questions in stores. And then I realized, no. No, I need more education before I go back. Were they answering you in English? Kind of like the verbal version. Immediately. Like your arm and going, okay, sit down. There you go. Good try, buddy. Yeah, it was pretty much English immediately every time. I'm sure you're doing well. It's hard to practice. Indeed. I took a intro to French class and it was an intro to character work because that teacher, <laughs> talking about the outlier, she was right up with the art teacher because she had a thing, let me tell you. It was Le Chat. 
And she had Le Chat on everything. Calendars, trinkets everywhere. Just exactly the archetype of that kind of teacher. That was her. Yes, definitely. The cat obsessive is a thing. I think early on in our relationship, people in my life really only knew that Tom liked cats and yeah. films. <laughs> so all gifts given to him were either DVDs or cat-based things. That always surprised me. Like, oh, he's a 35-year-old gentleman. You're going to buy him a cat magnet. Okay. <laughs> I love it. They had to glom onto something. That's always the worst when you know people are going to get gifts for somebody, and it's the one thing gift. I know somebody who got a bunch of Star Wars gifts, and he's 40, because his other extended family just knew he liked Star Wars. So... <laughs> Every Christmas has a theme when your new man is into something and the rest of the family wants to get them a gift. See, we know who you are in a very limited way. <laughs> so to be fair, I am in my 40s now and I bought myself an animatronic Baby Yoda. So yeah, that was a consensual Grogu. Yes, I chose it. <laughs> I might even have bought him his own Santa hat. <gasps> oh my yeah, well, he usually stays on our piano top. And then we were putting our Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer scene on our piano top. So we moved it to the shelf. And Tom said, oh, but there was all the other Christmas decorations on the shelf. Shouldn't he look Christmassy? So I immediately went to Amazon and located a Yoda-sized hat, which incidentally is also a cat-sized hat and has now been on two of the three of our cats. Thank you for correcting this problem so quickly. You know, you gotta act fast when someone <laughs> gives you a thumb like that. Quick, the stuff our in-laws know we like don't have Santa hats. Remedy the situation. <laughs> That's wonderful. How long have you and Tom been together? Long time. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, math. 16 years, oh, I think, is where we land now. That's so nice. Or, I'm gonna walk over to the room where he is. What? 16, and I was right. I was right. I was right. 16 years. Oh, I love it. But the time passes so quickly. It seems like mm -hmm. we've been together forever and also like we just met each other. It's very strange. That's the perfect dynamic. You got that cozy, worn-in boots feeling, and then the new boots came in the mail feeling. Yeah. Oh, great. It's, it's like this lemon's dream. And what I love about you guys is you not only seem perfect for each other, you seem cute. You see the cute wear off with some couples but you're consistently cute you go on dates you keep it regular like this is the time we watch a movie and make popcorn yeah we definitely do keep up the dating thing even in times where literally we're only seeing each other and our cats <laughs> because it's nice to remember we have different parts of our relationship like there's the writing partner part where truly it's business mm -hmm. and then there's like the pet parent part and there's the marriage part and you sort of have to remember to keep all of them well oiled so mm -hmm. part of that too is I find comfort in knowing what I'm gonna do today so if I know that Saturday is movie night with popcorn then I don't have to like panic about what is on the docket mm. yay mental illness oh well the structure oh. sounds good like this is the hat I wear today exactly also, I just really like the shit out of him. I just really like him. And so I'm not sure that cuteness will ever go away because he's just that cute. And you're on the same page with this. You know, you have your established roles. Even that is an accomplishment. Yeah, the longer we've been together, the better communication has gotten on things like that. 
for instance, mm-hmm. the leaving of a hotel is the most fraught moment of our relationship. <gasps> so if I'm in a hotel and it is comfy, I just want to like mm-hmm. stick around and enjoy it and <laughs> luxuriate in the seats, which are usually nicer than ours. And come when we're in a hotel, usually we're on vacation or we're on a research trip or something. And mm. Tom feels very strongly like, get up and out of the hotel. Oh, so, <laughs> we have very little we disagree about. But wow, in hotels are our biggest fight. Neither of us are really yellers, but mm-hmm. yeah, hotels do it. So now he knows. If he has a specific time that he needs to be somewhere, he wants our asses out of the hotel. He will, he will say, what time? How long do you need to get ready today? And then he'll back count. And at the time that I need to get ready, he'll be like, it is time for you to shower. And so therefore, we are able to communicate through, I'm going to stay in bed until exactly this time. Then at that appropriate time, I get my ass out of bed. That's so considerate. Oh my God, <laughs> you have a strategy. We do, because we don't really like being not on the same wavelength we just as people naturally float on that same wave and so when we're not it's awkward (gasps) even when we feel differently about movies or musicals so we've found ways to get to the wavelength as fast as possible healthy i love it instead of just being angry i can relate to that i want to relax I don't want to punch in the clock. (laughs) Right? And those are very different styles of vacationing. I'm lucky that we both accommodate for each other's thing because I think that if I were only relaxy, don't get up and see the world, and he was only see the world, that would be a much bigger challenge. Yeah. I miss vacationing. We haven't obviously been anywhere this Mm -hmm. year aside from driving in the Angeles Mountains just for the sake of driving and seeing something that isn't our house. Yeah. I like thinking about you being in London and France. But, you know, we can get in our cars and look at Six Flags. Yes, we can. Did you see (laughs) that we drove through Six Flags the other day? Yes. (laughs) What a strange experience to drive in between the roller coasters. (laughs) It's like having a bunch of bowls of plastic fruit. Like, that fruit looks pretty good. Yes. Mm, It would be great (laughs) if we could eat it. Wow, we can even get pretty close. Hey, look, they put shiny lights on the fruit. (laughs) Yay. Or dangling a carrot. And you keep following that carrot. That is the conundrum of the carrot dangle. I do miss theme parks in general, but I don't want to see any humans right now. Numbers are shitty. For being such a Disney fangirl, both you and Tom, what is the... I think the specific term is Disney-file. Disney-file. I mean, I am. A huge percentage of my friends in Los Angeles came from that fandom. But I think I just like to consider myself more than anything somebody who just loves shit. I love shit. And yeah. Disney is one of the things that I love. You have such a joie de vivre. And yeah, I'm not pronouncing that French enough. Uh, way better than I would be pronouncing it. Joie de vivre. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we've got this life. We might as well love what calls to us. Mm-hmm. Like the colors of the wind. <laughs> <laughs> or like <laughs> my little ponies. Yeah, I think we wrote a whole musical about that, honestly. The desire to just love what you love. And you had a song called Love What You Love. <laughs> yes, that triumphant moment when the teacher rips open his shirt and it's Charlie's Angels undershirt. <laughs> yes. So good. Ah, corniness. I live in corniness, which is weird that I'm writing a serious musical right now, I guess. In general, I like too many kinds of things. 
maybe I'm a dilettante, but I don't really love that word. It's hard to say. All these French words, let's just mix them. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to say because there's a thing that it's hard to say. Maybe that's why we don't like these things. It's just hard to say. <laughs> dilettante, but yeah. I admire that you can write it all. Not so much this year, other than the stuff I've written for work. Have you taken a step away from this musical? Actually, I'm in the midst of taking steps back towards this musical after this whole year of not touching it. Yeah. And it feels nice. What is it about? It is about Elizabeth Short, better known as the Black Dahlia. Oh, my God. Yes. And so much of the media around her, the research, the books, everything is written by men from a male perspective, mostly Mm -hmm. focused on who killed her. And so we're trying to write something from a more female perspective and about who she was as opposed to who killed her. Yeah. Which is way, way different from cartoon ponies. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember a lot of unsolved murder in bronies. Not a ton of it, no. <laughs> Not even a lot of mystery. When you have something that balls to the wall on ironic you can't really be the serious. Mm-hmm. Have you been really? watching anything good lately? Oh, fish content on repeat. YouTube mm-hmm. has given me a PhD in fishery. What mm-hmm. is your favorite thing to watch on YouTube? <laughs> I like uh, creative aquarium design and fish behavior. <laughs> what, what kind of things does this fish do? What happens when you put these fish together? Oh, no, that's terrible. <laughs> it's all just beautiful to try and make nature happen in a box. And what are your fish's names currently? Your current fish. <laughs> My late fish. Let me start with the late fish. <laughs> tell me. Tell me all about your dead cat, Freddy. It was on this very day at 2.38 p.m. one year ago that my late fish, Charles. <laughs> right now, I've got three schools of fish, and the schools all look the same. So at this point, it's <laughs> kind of silly with those because it's like, oh, and there's Flappy, and there's Bitey, <laughs> and there's Big Head, there's Little Butts. Do you name the school as one unit? Like, this is yes. my school named Bob. <laughs> Yeah, they're rival gangs. <laughs> oh, it's so hard for fish to snap. The sharks and the jets, only one of them works. Sharks make sense. <laughs> jets, I don't know. They're not that aerodynamic. <laughs> um, well, right now I have six green neons that I call the green fillets. Ooh. But uh, that's the only crew name I have. <laughs> I want to write Rennie fan fiction where your schools of fish are clearly menacing towards each other. Hey, there's some real drama there. I'm confident your fan fiction would be incredibly entertaining. But I should note that the drama unfolding continuously is on its own pretty interesting. Tell me more. Uh, okay, so I have a school of Espe Rasboras, and they're in the same tank with the Green Filets. I started out with five, and I thought, they're so interesting to watch. They had some inline swimming behavior, and I thought, mm-hmm. they feel more confident and safer, and they behave more normally when their school is bigger. So it just made me sad, and I bought four more. And after adding more to the school, they decided, hey, we don't got to listen to nobody. We own this tank. I know there's a predator in here, and he gets fed first. We're not going to take it. So I always feed Joe Pishy first, who's the beta. He's bigger than all of them. And these punks, after I put more of them and they got brave, they realized I feed them first, and they just fly up out of nowhere and steal the food. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. Joe is the king of the tank. Nobody messes with him, and he couldn't believe it. Just out of nowhere, these little gunshots fly out of nowhere and steal the food. It makes me think of when the nerdy kids who always outnumber the bullies realize that they have strength at numbers. Oh, my little nerds. 
It's just like when Homer Simpson kept trying to eat chips. Yes. Santa's little helper's puppies kept flying up, and then Homer's like, this time, don't. Yes. I admire them. They had a meeting to discuss the infiltration effort, and it's paid off. Joe has now reduced himself to looking on the bottom for food, and he never does that. That's literally and figuratively beneath him. His name, by the way, is exquisite. <laughs> I can hear Joe Pesci's voice coming out of Joe Fishing. The little guy. I wish I could tell you I thought of the pun first. Honest to the idiot choice. I just wanted to name a fish Joe Pesci. I swear. <laughs> I literally got it and said, Joe Pesci. And then that happened. Sometimes Pesci, you just sometimes. gotta embrace people you get from someone else as your own. This is mine now. Not in a stealing joke kind of way. Well, it goes back to us learning things from TV shows. There's concrete knowledge, and then there's comedy references that are all up in my brain. Oh, yes. For this example, I definitely think it has something to do with The Sopranos when Tony had dreams about fish talking to him. (laughs) Hence, Big Pussy sleeps with the fishes, and he dreamt about fish talking to him. I'm pretty sure I read that was not intentional to have the sleep with the fishes reference. Like, that was just a subconscious thing. (laughs) Oh, wow. I mean, because that's clear. I'm blanking on his name. Who wrote for the Sopranos who created it? Uh, oh. Yeah, no, I don't have it. I've got Ouroboros, Renny, but I don't have that. <laughs> Let me think. The Sopranos is created by that guy. Yep. Oh, it's like right there. I even know what he looks like. I can see his hairline. I love that you're the kind of person who can see a fish and think that fish is Joe Pesci. Takes a special kind of brain. They put in the work, though. They named themselves so quickly. They really do. Did you find that with your cats? Yeah, in general, we go from silent or early movie stars, and so we'll open some classic film reference books and flip through. Yeah. It ends up feeling really obvious when it happens. Oh, okay. I think I figured out the names for our next cat before we even have the next cat. <gasps> I did it backwards, but my current dream is to have a little tuxedo cat girl mm-hmm. and name her Marlena after Marlena <gasps> Dietrich. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. But now I have to find exactly the right tuxedo cat who (laughs) captures that, and that makes Ah, it all the harder. You've got yourself a casting job. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a casting director at work. I do enjoy being on the other side of the table when casting, Yes, which I do most often in theater, obviously, because film marketing, you don't really get considered so much (laughs) on that side of the table. But there's something nice about being able to... Be welcoming and establish the tone for the actor from the beginning. Yeah. It's like a warmer, safer place than yeah. I have in the past sometimes encountered. It's so appreciated when those of you who are trying to make the best out of it make us feel better walking in. But you guys only have so much time to even speak. Auditioning is every bit as much your job as doing the actual work. If we get the work, yeah. <laughs> right. Maybe for that reason, it's more of the job. Mm-hmm. You know, why would you not want your actors to be as comfortable as possible so as to give you the best understanding of what mm-hmm. they can do, of who they are? And you may find surprises that way. If yeah. You make the environment comfortable to show you something you didn't know you'd see. So there are a few times when people have auditioned for me that I felt that I had seen enough almost right away. Mm-hmm. And I think my favorite audition war story is that a woman rolled in in rollerblades for a Shakespeare audition and asked us if she should take them off. And we looked at each other and then we said, no, we got it. We understand what you're bringing to the table. Go ahead and do that soliloquy in your roller skates. 
Do you have any fun audition stories? I haven't brought in the rollerblades. I think your future cat Marlena better step it up. Rollerblades, backflips. I want to see the audition process. Maybe we'll make it a YouTube series. That'd be great. (laughs) All I can say is the auditions where I have had a callback or booked a job, I always, always do something uncalled for. It's not daring necessarily. It's not counterintuitive. But in every example I can think of, I did something that wasn't scripted or I made a choice that was kind of weird. (laughs) But as a director, you know you can redirect, but to see something first is where you start. So sometimes I'll make kind of an unusual choice. And if that inspired something, they'll redirect me. You know, then you give them exactly what they're looking for. But I think when you start off with something that's the glimmer of you behind the awkward facade of walking into a room and trying out for a part that's not you... When I bring myself, I think that opens interest. Yeah, that is the fastest way I am able to connect with actors from the other side is when they're specifically themselves outside of the actual material and Mm -hmm. sometimes even inside of it with really specific choices. I sat in on an audition last year where Mm -hmm. someone had brought pizza from the production (laughs) side and the pizza was on the stage. And someone offered an actor pizza, and then he used it in the audition. He full-on ate a piece of pizza while doing the side, and it was the strongest, boldest choice I'd ever seen. I was really impressed, actually. Note to self. Oh, my God. (laughs) So at one point, he had too much pizza in his mouth. So he literally reached up and took the wad of pizza and, like, put it down on the floor. Uh, the, the whole while, he was really present and really intriguing and making interesting choices. So even though there was a wad of chewed up pizza on the floor, oh I wasn't God. staring at the wad of chewed up pizza. I was staring at the really interesting choices. I think that's a lot more impressive than rubbing your belly and patting your head at the same time. Throw in a pizza. <laughs> now that's an accomplishment. Add that to your checklist. What to take I in, in your bag to your next table. I bring in the hangry, but I don't bring in the actual food. <laughs> well, because that's bold choice moved you in a positive way have you ever seen anything that was not a positive sure <laughs> yeah rubbed you the wrong way or rubbed yeah. people oh, on you the wrong way i mean this was a sort of a choice when we were auditioning for bronies we had someone come in and sing one of the darker, longer sort of soliloquy pieces from Sweeney Todd, which, mm. as you know, when you're auditioning for something, you try to find something in the realm of what you're auditioning for so that you can get a sense of like, oh, this is poppy or this is, mm-hmm. you know, dark, creepy. And he chose dark, creepy for our light poppy show. <laughs> he didn't cut it down to 16 bars or anything. He sang the whole thing a cappella. <laughs> And then turned down the time and said that he was there because he was a brony and he was angry that we had written this. Oh, making friends. Yeah. He had obviously not read it because it was a new show. But in fact, we weren't making fun of bronies. We were championing the right to love what you love. Mm -hmm. And there was definitely yelling at us. Wow. We need Todd Soliloquy. And it was a choice, and it rubbed me the wrong way. If you were casting Trolls the musical, like internet trolls, <laughs> mm-hmm. please sing something in the genre of our musical. Like, well, there's haters. Bronies have haters. <laughs> but he was a brony. That's so weird. It really was. It was very surprising. Oh, on that same day, mm-hmm. someone who had worked with our team before decided that he was going to sing If Ever I Should Leave You from Camelot. 
while taking his clothes off. Hold on. Yeah, he strips you his own rendition. You just yeah. got the pizza out of my mouth. What? Why did he? I can't figure that out either. Maybe because he thought it would make us laugh. But the song wasn't right for the show, and that choice, it was also a strong one, but it yeah, I'm glad I remembered to tell you. Yeah, well, Assault sometimes is a selective memory. Yes, fortunately, <laughs> I think there were really only boxers involved. Blah. Generally, guys, if you haven't met a woman and you make a choice to remove clothing for any reason, no, <laughs> don't do that. I will give him credit that it wasn't a Louis C.K. situation. Also, that's a really weird song to strip to you. <laughs> It's giving me flashbacks to delivering food and how often men would answer the door with no pants on. Why? It was common. This was shocking to me. I would never consider approaching a door without pants. Uh, Some kind of covering. So uh, I will say I've been appreciating the pandemic food delivery where you don't have to look at anyone or talk to anyone. Yay! No pants. <laughs> Guy answering the door in tidy whities and leaning no. backwards like twerking to nobody as if I could no. see the lack of Pants. For real. They, would, they would answer in their tidy whitey. Well, that guy stands out in my mind because first thought, oh, adults still wear those. Okay. <laughs> the second thought was feeling taken advantage of because there's a a version that is more significant with underwear that's still revealing. Boxers right. are kind of like shorts, but with tidy mm-hmm. whiteys, that is intimate wear. And honestly, the food delivery relationship is kind of intimate. It's one person to one person through a door. At least mm-hmm. if you're, I don't know, going to strip during an audition, then might be six people behind the table with you <laughs> but yeah no no i <laughs> you didn't even get tipped though well he wasn't bad looking <laughs> well money always makes me feel better <laughs> you had support it was a very collective what the fuck is happening <laughs> i'd love to see a list that we would put together of the worst songs to strip to oh that's well known or musicals. Yes. I mean, you can make it a musical version since this man was so inspiring. I think, you know, really given any musical choice, having a playlist of the worst songs to strip to would be <laughs> worth having. It'd also be fun to play it for somebody and make them guess what the theme is. That is so fun. <laughs> like back in the day when we burned CDs, first went to someone else's party and then had a party of my own where everyone had to bring a mixed CD on a theme. And I didn't consider doing it where you had to guess the theme but that would be fucking delightful i remember you had asked for that as a gift Um, (laughs) and it was sort of like a white elephant exchange but with mixed cd right it'd be tempting to go with songs i just hate but this is a bigger challenge it is to capture the essence of the absence of sexuality (laughs) it actually obliterates sexuality in the vicinity like the black hole of sex Safe for songs with subject matter that have to do with assault. Like, let's not... Yeah, that's not funny. But splitting the difference, like, not about assault, but makes you feel terrible. Just <laughs> really <laughs> off. Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking of songs. I want to come up with yeah. a good one. I want you to come up with a good one, too. I'm trying. Okay, I really do want us to make this whole playlist. Okay. The song To Be Human Again from Beauty and the Beast. Fine choice. The cut song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. They're always cut for a reason. Right. So there is an element of sex in that. French made. Yeah, it's too sexy. Beauty and the Beast, by default, is too sexy. I mean, that beast, too. Incidentally, way sexier than the prince he turns into. Oh, I miss the days of cartoon bestiality. Right? I miss the days of my youth. Like, they say that your sexual frame of reference is defined by your father. Not in a creepy way, but that's the first man you grow up knowing. Mm -hmm. And then 
the first maybe media that you find in your youth and absolutely under this rule, Robin Hood, the animated fox, is the base of my sexual preferences. That fox fucks. I mean, you know he does. We know. Yeah. <laughs> what cartoon animal did you want to fuck? Oh, you know, Simba. I would say more than Simba and Nala. There's that shot ah! of her laying back. You know the one I'm talking about? Yeah. She has real bedroom eyes. Like, I have a false memory of her spreading her legs in that scene because her eyes want it. You know she wants it. I think she and Robin Hood would not be a bad pair up. Does Sonic the Hedgehog count? Because I was really attracted to Sonic the Hedgehog when he got tired of waiting you know what i mean when sonic was idle in the video game i'm gonna need to look at a picture of it to have it refresh my memory but i'm learning so much about you (laughs) you're also learning a lot about me i don't think anybody forgets sexy sonic the hedgehog it's somewhere in your psyche with the aurora board (laughs) did you see the parodies of the first poster that came out for the movie adaptation recently yeah Yeah, wow i feel like there should be all kinds of eyes on movie posters before they go out to catch things like (laughs) oh definitely looks like he might be getting a blowjob so if you were playing the sonic the hedgehog video game and you didn't move your character sonic the hedgehog would get tired waiting for you and he'd get on the floor with his hand under his chin and elbow on the floor and give you bedroom eyes. Oh, my. <laughs> How are his legs while he's laying on the floor? I think I'm remembering this now. Oh, he's got one knee up? Yes. Okay. Yep. You brought it back to my mind. He, he's waiting for your move. What kind of move? I know. Strange <laughs> mm-hmm. cartoon sexuality. If you don't make the moves, he'll make moves on you. And there's another one where he might be, like, tapping his foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, hurry up. We need to have whatever your childhood mind thinks sex is, and I can't wait. (laughs) It's like some sort of strange alchemy, the way they capture the longing in animated eyes. It's just disturbing. (laughs) They should not be able to do that. (laughs) It triggers something in a child's primal mind. That makes you feel funny. Yeah, I don't know what this is, but I want special time with Sonic. Ask me that fox. Let's have heavy petting, and I'm literally just thinking of petting him. (laughs) Very heavy petting. Very furry. I really think there's fodder here for a terrible song to strip to, and it's going to hit us later. (laughs) I'm really excited to respond with a list of things that I've come up with in the long term. Ah, I can't wait. What about, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas? Oh, so that is perfect, because it's not only, like, totally musically wrong as a concept it's also just wrong i was also thinking like the sesame street theme would be very awkward i don't want to go down i just want to go down to sesame street (laughs) oh you know what i once asked you and others for songs that were happy and your recommendation was a song from a japanese anime oh my god the theme song to my neighbor totoro probably (laughs) Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, that is my offering for today. (laughs) Hey, let's go. Hey, let's go. But with I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas being creepy, it also ties in the childhood bestiality. It always comes back to that, apparently. The Aurora Boris of cartoon bestiality. (laughs) You brought it back. Like an Aurora Boris. I want a Sonic the Hedgehog for Christmas. I know you do. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Heidi. Hopefully, someday in the next 365, we will actually be able to see each other again. (laughs) Take care. You too, Heidi. Say hi to Tom for me. I will. And he says hi to you. Oh.
He literally just said hi to you. (laughs) Maybe we can drive by Disneyland together and (laughs) they'll dangle a dole whip. If only. (laughs) Well, so good to talk to you. You too, Heidi. Okay, bye. Today's episode was brought to you by The Colors of the Wind, Tidy Whiteys, and unfortunately, T-Mobile. Please stay on the line for our next episode with Blaine Kapach. Mm -hmm.